And maybe that's what people are afraid of, right? They don't want their team members to be saying, you know what, Michelle, we don't really need you. And that's the biggest compliment an entrepreneur can receive, frankly. Look into his eyes. They're the eyes of a man obsessed by success. Eyes that mock our sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them in a bygone day. Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is this desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I have my most amazing guest, Brad. Brad, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Michelle. It's great to see you again. Teach people how to say your name the right way. Barack <laughs> Kenodia. <laughs> thank you. And give us a 5,000 foot view who you are and what you love to do. Um, I am a valuations expert. So when somebody is looking to buy a company or sell a company or invest in a company, or looking to insure their house or a bridge or anything of value that they might own, they need an appraisal. And they might reach out to somebody like me. Awesome. And you are one of the most fascinating appraisers I have ever met because one, you have some fantastically interesting things that you've appraised in the past and you have a diverse personality, which is also super cool. <laughs> so let's get into the work mode first. Um, what kind of fun and entertaining things have you done assessments on before? Uh, one thing you rightfully said, I am an appraiser with a personality. There aren't too many people uh, with a personality in my world. So um, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, <laughs> oh, it wasn't meant as one, but you know, if you want to. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I'll take all the stuff I can get. Um, so it, it, I've been fortunate or unfortunate to have appraised some of the weird or unique, interesting assets in the world, like uh, the Golden Gate Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge or the Atlanta Airport or uber airbnb or mirage casino or the alaskan pipeline so um um you know i don't do these projects all day every day but uh, these are some of the interesting more interesting assets i have appraised that is so cool to me so how did you get into one appraising things and two get into appraising the weird and wonderful things that you do well, you know, um, <laughs> growing up in India, you know, I would look at the stars and I would dream about coming to America, Michelle. And I thought, you know, I will come to America one day and become an appraiser. Um, <laughs> well, you, you tell a good story, but I'm, I'm thinking there's a little bit of artistic uh, <laughs> interpretation in that. <laughs> Wait, you didn't buy that? <laughs> It was all of one sentence and I'm already like, no, that's not the way I went down. 
<laughs> you know, best things in life happen to you when you least expect them. Um, the first job out of college that I got was evaluation. And I, um, turns out I was half good at it and I stuck with it. Nice. So, uh, just the opportunities kept unfolding themselves. Awesome. We like unfolding experiences. So how do you get to the point where you're evaluating the Golden Gate Bridge? I mean, one, just because it hadn't been evaluated in a hundred years, <laughs> I was like, eh, it's time. <laughs> no, it was one of those things. So a lot of these valuations, you know, a lot of these large assets that you will see, they will, they are underwritten or they're insured by somebody. Um, and to insure an asset like that, the first thing you need to know, hey, what is this thing worth? If this asset were to come down, how big of a check do I need to write? Um, and that is done by somebody like an appraiser, like myself. You know, we would go in and do an assessment and say that, hey, if God forbid, if the bridge were to come down, what would it cost to rebuild it today? So that's the kind of analysis um, my company at that time did. And I was one of the... Um, engineers on staff and most importantly my boss liked me so i got the right opportunities that's important <laughs> that's, that's usually yes. how that, that works. was 99 of the reason <laughs> the rest was eh, okay uh. <laughs> I, I have never been in that fortunate position where my bosses like me so much but you know it works a lot better for me in the entrepreneurial world but that's okay. So when somebody's coming to you, is it usually the insurance company that's going, hey, we've got this guy on file. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's go with that. Or do people go, hey, I know this guy. It's usually the uh, insurance broker that comes mm -hmm. to us. Um, insurance companies or the underwriters, they're too you know, high and mighty to be talking to um, regular people. Um, <laughs> so it's usually the brokers that would approach you. Very cool. So if you were to, I don't know, say somebody buys a dam and you're like, hey, how much is my dam worth? <laughs> how, yeah. do, how do you even start going about that? Well, I mean, recently somebody came to me and their family had rights to a dam. Um, and when, when they met me, they were just, they, they wanted to just reach out and hug me through Zoom because they said that, look, before you, we spoke to three or four other appraisers and all of them wanted to appraise the land the dam is sitting on, but not the dam itself. Um, and to that, I responded, well, dam is something I can appraise. I would rather not appraise the land and I would rather appraise the dam because in my humble opinion, a dam is just another specific use industrial heavy-duty building. Um, you know, it's just shaped oddly or whatever you want to say. It's just specific <laughs> use industrial building. And, if, you know, if, once you look at it from that perspective, it becomes very simple. It's not one of those buildings that's prone to flooding that becomes a problem. <laughs> Again, industrial use, specific, you know, <laughs> industrial specific use, heavy duty, you know, all that is baked in. Nice. You know, no different than valuing a stadium, if you will, right? I mean, that is also just another industrial building. And is it just dependent on the the wear and tear of it? Is it dependent on the use of it? Is it dependent on, you know, public access? What are some of the contributing None factors? None of them. I mean, you know, it was basically dependent on what might it cost to rebuild this dam today? That's it. I mean, it was for insurance. 
So all I had to do was, you know, come up with an estimate that, hey, if God forbid, if they were just were to come down, uh, what will it cost to rebuild this dam? All I had to do. I love how you <laughs> underestimate the value of what you do in this whole process. But it's like, oh, yeah, I just look at the building. Oh, what does it cost? Uh, so <laughs> what are some of the mistakes that some people make when they're going mm -hmm. into into this whole process? So they're looking at it, they're going, hey, I'm going to buy this thing, or I'm going to take over this project. Where do they go wrong? Well, the biggest mistake people make is uh, listening to other people. <laughs> um, you know, so profound. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, if somebody's looking to buy a, or sell their business, they would say, hey, my neighbor's cousin's wife sold her business for 6x. So my business is worth at least 8x. And I'm like, yeah, well, of course, it's that's a scientific calculation that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so that's why I say, you know, don't listen to people, don't listen to the headlines. Um, you know, just because um, <clears throat> some company was able to raise capital at 20x uh, from the last valuation or 20x on revenue, that doesn't mean your company is worth that much. Um, that is a benchmark, but that doesn't mean that's the right benchmark for you. So uh, just be wary of the headlines and what you might hear from your friends and friend neighbors. So when somebody's getting an evaluation, is it in their favor to do it like every year? Is it in their favor to go, hey, back in 2010, it was worth this much. So it's got to be at least worth that now. How do you approach that? Most definitely. So uh, the example I give is when you are going through um, middle school or grade school um, or in college, every semester you get a report card every end of the year, end of the quarter, you get a report card that, hey, Michelle was, um, you know, A in physical training, a B in math, a C in chemistry. Um, and she was, um, you know, dressed neatly. So, you know, check, you know, they have all the different qualitative parameters as well. So this is valuation is just like a report card, um, you know, it tells you how your business is doing. Um, you know, so if you're as a business owner putting in 60, 80 hours a week in your business, um, that tells you if you've really created value or if you have uh, just gone in and spent time there. Um, because <clears throat> value is created when the owner is able to pull themselves out of the business. So I'm reading a book right now by Ben Horowitz, the founder of Andreessen Horowitz, the uh, venture capital firm. And he says that you should take a vacation from your um, business so that your business can take a vacation from you for at least two to four weeks every year. Um, and most entrepreneurs don't, I don't, frankly, um, because we're all scared that, hey, what's going to happen? The thing's going to fall apart. And he said, that's precisely the point. When you come back, you will see um, where the cracks are and you start working on those cracks and fixing those things so that next time you can go, at least those cracks wouldn't fall apart. Something else might fall apart and then you come back and fix that. Um, or if you like the people I know, you come back and that works better without them. And it's like, hey, I'm just going to leave. 
I'm just going to chill. I mean, it's even better. You guys are killing it. This is awesome. And maybe that's what people are afraid of, right? They don't want their team members to be saying, you know what, Michelle, we don't really need you. And that's the biggest compliment an entrepreneur can receive, frankly. Right. You know, um, I mean, if you're a mid-manager at a large company, that's a problem. But if you're an entrepreneur, well, that's a great problem to have. Exactly. Nice. So what are some of your pet peeves of the industry? What are some of the things that you find other companies doing that you're like, oh, why? Industry, you mean as in, in my world, in the valuation yeah. world? Um, yeah. Well, people in my world love to share how smart they are. Um, they love to talk about how smart they are and you better be careful and you better be nice to me. I've got so many degrees and I've got so many designations. In fact, you know, their name would be like, you know, Michelle Medella, comma, CGFA 994, you know, tick 60, you know, it's like a whole alphabet soup <laughs> of things. Or they would get on a phone and, you know, when they introduce themselves, they would start by saying, Hi, I'm Bharat. I have a chartered accountancy. I have a certified so-and-so. I'm like, I'm like who gives a fuck? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, the clients don't really care, dude. Just tell me how you're going to solve my issue. Um, and they use these big fancy words and they make their work sound so important and, you know, very complicated. And I am the total opposite. I try to... Um, I, I, I try never talking about my qualifications. And if I do, somebody probably asked me. Um, and I try to break my work down as simplest as I can um, so that anybody can understand what I do. As um, Einstein said, if you cannot explain it simply enough, you don't know it well enough. And I believe that and I practice it as much as I can. And I would say that's highly evident as uh, I think a lot of industries, especially when it comes to financing and accounting and anything that is a derivative thereof, they want to make it more complex, to make it look like they're smarter, more competent, more capable, more accurate, more whatever the case might be. And They're just more. Yeah. And for the most part, I find if somebody can listen and understand <laughs> at a grade five level, it's like, hey, if you can explain it to my kid and they understand what you're talking about, you're probably telling me the truth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, nowadays, I mean, you know, back when I was young, if somebody said something and I didn't get it, I'd just keep quiet. I'm like, all right, never mind. I'll look it up later. Now I just say, what What does that mean? Like like we were talking about, right? Muskox. <laughs> I was like, what? What is that? I've never heard that before. But when I looked it up, I was like, yeah, I've seen that animal before. I just didn't know what it was called. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what a muskox is, it's an Arctic animal that I compare it to. It looks like a buffalo that came out of the Ice Age. So it's a big animal with really long hair, and they're super cool. In fact, now good. that you mentioned Ice Age, in the movie Ice Age, they have muskox. There you go. Well, and it was funny because my niece my <laughs> and her daughter went to the zoo, and they took pictures. And I'm like, oh, you have a capybara. I didn't know you had that. And she goes, I think it's called a tapir. I'm like, it is, and capybaras are birds. So we're totally, <laughs> apparently I need to go and visit the zoo a little more often. <laughs> totally the zoo is a lot up. of fun to visit. Um, 
I, I my, my daughter is into zoo. In fact, she says, when I'm 14 years old, I'm going to go work at the zoo. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I think it would be fun. Right? Um, yeah. Hey, fun. Have you ever appraised a zoo or animals in it? No, I have not. Actually, come to think of it, that would be an interesting assignment. I have appraised forests. Really? Yeah, yeah, I have appraised forests for the U.S. Forest Service, as you can imagine. They own, you know, literally millions of acres of forest or millions of square kilometers of forests. Um, <laughs> Depending and, on your accent. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, sometimes they need them appraised. So I have appraised not all of them, a few of them for them. A forest. That's hilarious. Yeah. So did you take into account the birds and the bees and the animals and... Yeah, I had to, you know, go to a forest and count them all. All the trees, all the rocks, <laughs> and all these shrubs, you know. All the, all the mosquitoes. How yeah, much is that pretty word? much everything. You know, all the Indian burial sites, everything, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we'll go there. Oh, my God. As soon as um, I said it, I was like, eh, probably not a good idea. <laughs> probably not. Oh, it was too late. It was already out. <laughs> I know that feeling. I, I walk into my face all the time. It's like, oh, wow, that came out first. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, I don't know if you know, but I've started another podcast yet again called Happy to Offend or Happy to Offend You. And it's not that we're happy to offend you. It's just that we will offend you. <laughs> but we're going to do it in the most happy and pleasant sort of way, having fun laughing at ourselves. So, um, you may want to entertain that podcast yeah, as well. Yeah, I was it... happy. Hey, what did you think of this whole Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, by the way? <laughs> I woke up on the Monday morning and I was like, what's going on here? So well, I just want to know what you thought of it. It is the most trivial piece of American pop culture I, I think I have ever participated in. When people said it, I actually knew what they meant. because <laughs> For some <laughs> reason, I actually happenstanced upon that one and went, what? So, Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what happened, there was an awards show, and Chris Rock was a host, and uh, Will Smith was in the audience with his wife. Chris makes some comment about Jada's haircut and some innuendo that kind of flew over some of our heads. We weren't really sure where he was going with it. And then Will Smith went up and smacked him up across the face. <laughs> away. The whole audience felt like Thanksgiving dinner at that moment where he like, uh, are we supposed to talk? Are we not supposed to talk? Are we supposed to have noticed that? It was really it was awkward. It was no, I think, I think uh, frankly, in my humble opinion, there are three things. First, I think Will Smith was out of line because he just got up and smacked him. He didn't talk to him first. He didn't say, hey, come on, time out, cut it out. And plus, it's a joke. You're sitting in front line and you know who Chris Rock is. He's a he cracks jokes for a living. So was um, it one staged, two actually inappropriate, or three was there a little something something going on between Chris and Jada we all don't know about? Yes, exactly. So <laughs> I think it was a little staged. I think it was a little over the top, and there might be a backstory here that we don't know of. And uh, you know the whole thing that later on he's crying. I mean, well, he's an actor. That's what he does. Right. You know, I mean, how difficult is it to cry? Somebody told me to cry to get an Oscar. Fuck, I'll do it. <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know, here's an Oscar. We just want you to do some drama. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Who do you want me to slap? Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't think I've ever seen Will Smith with that 
particular attitude or disposition in an interview or anything like that. Mm -hmm. In the movies, absolutely, bar none. But I've never seen him in an interview or like off camera, on camera, like showing his true personality, having that kind of thing going on, even in the interviews that he used to do with Jada. So I'm, I'm thinking it was staged. I'm thinking they need to make it was too, because if you look at Chris Rock's body language, he's sort of, you know, he's got his jaw clenched and his arms back. He's just waiting for that slap. Right. I mean, there was there was no fight or flight moment for him. You know, yeah. he, was, he was just waiting for it. And like, OK, he seemed a little too prepared for what was going to happen, because if he had really offended somebody who was really actually offended by that kind of action, uh, it would have gone a little further, faster, wrong. <laughs> Actually, right. frankly, that wasn't the most offensive thing Chris Rock has ever said. That was probably one of the nicest things. Things you, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure there are far worse things he said. Take into account this about Jada. Um, so I thought that was a little off. Anyway, I wanted to talk about it. Awesome. So on that note, have you ever assessed um, a, when a personality, so meaning like a YouTube figure or TikTok or somebody like that? And two, have you ever done an assessment on like a um, an awards show? No, I have not. Um, uh, like a pageant or an awards show? No, I have not. That would be an interesting one. Um, one of the well, because I kind of wonder, like, if somebody were to sell, like, uh, Trump bought the whole Miss, Miss America pageant. Yeah. Like, how do you assess what that's worth, really? Again, everything comes down to dollars and cents. You have to just look at what kind of profit and what kind of revenue this pageant brings in, uh, whoever the owner is, and you just back into that number. It, it really does. You know, when they say that old saying, right, follow the money, that's really what it comes down to. Well, and I don't think that people realize that everything from this <laughs> incident and otherwise is uh can be brought down to dollars and cents everything is a matter of is it a publicity stunt is it a plant is it deteriorating our value is it improving our value everything's a business like every 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 everything is a business very much so um in fact my conspiratorial mind is thinking that hey what really happened in the world or in ukraine or whatever else is happening around the world the news that they wanted maybe to bury. <clears throat> so, you know, the Academy Award, the Will Smith story is going to percolate to the top. And because there will be so many stories around it, the real important story is going to get buried. I wonder what that story was that they wanted to bury. Well, which also brings up an interesting point to me, because once upon a time, I wasn't interested in politics at all, couldn't care less. But I have since discovered in my years of wisdom, that almost inevitably, every time that there is a controversial bill that's going through, that something monumental happens in the news that overshadows it. And it's not always a war in the Ukraine and, hey, we'll pass these bills while there's this war going on. It can be something as stupid as, oh my God, Will Smith smacked Chris mm -hmm. Rock, and it becomes sensationalized. Yeah. So exactly. my first thought when something that stupid happens is, what bills are getting passed? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's probably very true. You know, as I say, truth is stranger than fiction. So there might be something behind to the, you know, things. It's just that getting a little too much publicity for something that's stupid. Yeah, and I think the whole thing was made up, frankly, because um, that was uncalled for. If Will Smith did that, that was uncalled for, dude. 
that was out of line. If he was sleeping with his wife, was it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, really, dude? Come on. I mean, you just got up and slapped the guy. I mean, he's a comedian. That's what he does. <laughs> you know. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm totally into open marriages. Could not care less what somebody mm -hmm. does or doesn't do in their private life. We're just mm -hmm. kind of debating the merits of getting yeah. up in front of thousands and maybe hundred, mm -hmm. maybe Million. millions of people. <laughs> In fact, that was the Academy Award, probably a billion people. <laughs> right. I, I did hear some interesting news on the on the on that front that apparently TikTok is now more used for um, searching search engine than Google. So for the first time in what's it been 10, 15 years, Google's been outpaced for searches. Which well, I thought know, was wow. Something to it. Um, okay, maybe I'm a little old school, but what the hell is TikTok? First, second of all, know. how are you going to get any info out of it? Three. <laughs> you know, but the thing what? is, millennials. I mean, you know, millennials they get their information from all kinds of weird places. In fact, TikTok? yesterday I was talking to somebody from John Wiley and Sons, and they wanted me. To, they approached me to write a book for them. Um, and I happen to mention that, you know, book writing a book has become an old archaic platform. You know, I'm saying this to the publisher, to my <laughs> <clears throat> The value of your company is going down as we yeah, I know. in case I haven't mentioned that. <laughs> and, 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 she's, and she goes, well, you know, people still read book. I'm like, you know, I'm happy to write a book. Why, why can't you? I mean, because, you know, you have to guys have to realize you're no longer a publication. You're a content shop right you have to disseminate that content in different ways to your audience whoever that audience is mm. um and i think many of these old companies they're going to wither away and die because of such executives because you know they're a thousand years old and this there's a certain way of doing things and that's the only way they know how to do things and that's the right way to do it and that's how we do things so I was just like, oh, whatever, you know, so I, I listened to her. I was like, okay, you know, maybe we'll work together. <laughs> well, and all I can think of is how do you get content like that out of a book and then put it into TikTok? I told like, her. There's a huge loop. <laughs> wow. No, I told her. I'll help her do it. Not on, maybe not on TikTok, but on YouTube or other oh. platforms, right? A book is a static thing, mm -hmm. you know, because that is <clears throat> the one too many scalability in a book is fairly limited. You got to go buy the book. Mm -hmm. But if you put the content online somewhere, when the one too many scalability can be instantaneously. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and I'm not sure some of these powers that be at these content, the traditional content houses, they realize that that's where they're dying. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why people like TikTok and, you know, others are coming up because, you know, these old publication houses, Simon and Schuster and, you know, McNally and uh, John. I don't Lennon, even know dying. which ones are around. Anymore. Yeah, they're dying. <laughs> Because yeah. they're just so married to the way they do things because people buy books. Well, they do, but more people do other things. Awesome. So when you're looking at the valuation of something, let's say not necessarily for insurance purposes, let's say for a business purpose, and the CEO happens to be a visionary that can see 
you know, things are going in this direction, therefore we're going to change left. And they do that really well, so they've increased the value of their company. Somebody a little more old school goes, hey, yeah, I got a lot of money. I'm going to buy this because, you know, it's innovative. It's new. Are you looking at how <laughs> much this new CEO is going to crash the company? Are you looking at, hey, dude, you really need to keep the CEO around for a while in order to maintain the value of it? How do you approach that? I mean, usually the old CEO is, is going to be around at least for a couple of years to make sure their transition goes smoothly. Um, and do millennials do that? Um, it's hard to contain them. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, I can't imagine that. For, I think once they're done, they're done. They're like, no, it's yours. Oh. No, that's what they say in the newspaper and the media. But for a year or two, they have to stick around. Mm -hmm. That's part of their employment contract, at least for one year. Um, and after that, what they might do is different. You know, maybe they don't want him around or her around anymore um, because they just, you know, they disrupt her. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sometimes what happens, right? When the, say for example, Cisco purchased WebEx and Cisco didn't really invest the dollars in making WebEx into a big fancy tool. And the same people who sold WebEx to Cisco went out and created Zoom. Um and, you know, to Cisco's detriment because, you know, they were old and stodgy, kind of like the people I just spoke of earlier. Right. Um, well, and I, I think of people like going back to the book thing. I don't know if you know. Um, oh, and I was going to say Richard Branson. And I'm not thinking Richard Branson, but his name sounds really close to that. Um, is just bought out the rights for Dan Kennedy and, and the guy that runs ClickFunnels. I'm yeah. sorry, I forget your name. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll applaud you. We'll we'll re-edit this. Right, his name put in. I forget. Yeah, Russell Branson's Russell name. Branson. There you go. <laughs> it's really close. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be an insult, uh, but he bought out the rights to Dan Kennedy um, marketing, and and they paid something. I don't know if it was eight hundred thousand or eight million or whatever it was, but they made it back within like four months. They had a huge promotion, boom, made all that money back and more. And it's like Dan's information has been around since the 60s. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's direct marketing. It's marketing is marketing. And this is how you evoke people. And 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 that was the information that he had taken to make ClickFunnels awesome and amazing. But clearly he has the ability to be able to see how to take this old information, old, and turn it into something new and awesome and amazing even though it's the same information. Yeah, well, no, most definitely. I mean, you know, just because something is old doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. Um, I mean, old is bad when it's just not used. Um, you know, I, I tell people, like when, is it, when, when <laughs> is it when somebody gets old? Somebody gets old when they stop learning new things and uh, when they don't want to meet new people and they talk about the past instead of the future. Um, you know, uh, great books like um, The Alchemist or um, Think and Grow Rich or Dan Kennedy or, you know, Dale Carnegie or some of these authors. I mean, these are gold. doesn't matter. They can be applied today or 200 years from now or uh, 2000 years ago. Nice. Love that. Well, and we used to give examples of why it's so important to remain innovative and creative and spend time doing weird obnoxious things like go out and paint go out and sculpture go out and just do something creative outside of the norm 
so that you get into that creative mode, so that you start thinking about the thing that you do every day in a different way. Because once upon a time, you know, a horse riding croc and a carriage was the way to go. But within a very short period of time, everybody's driving cars. They don't need that anymore. It becomes old school. They have to figure out a new way of doing it. And because this is a little blue pill, I'll mention it now, is had they take, taken the riding croc and taken it where <laughs> the 80s, 90s went with the riding croc, they could have made money off of it, but they didn't. They, you know, they were stuck in their old way of thinking and didn't do it. Same thing with the Yellow Pages. They died. Blockbuster died. They could have become Netflix quite easily, but they didn't embrace the whole online thing. So from your personal perspective, not necessarily from business and client perspective, but what do you do to look at the world and how it's changing and how that's going to affect business and particularly your business? Um, or do you? My, my, <laughs> I don't my go-to way to sort of punch out or to reconnect is meditating. Um, you know, I, I meditate uh, twice a day, 45 minutes each time, and that keeps me grounded. In fact, so, but to a point where I had considered hiring myself a executive coach or a business coach, and now I feel I don't need one. You know, I can figure it out myself. I probably need an advisor, but I don't need a coach coach. Cool. So when you think of the future of your business, where do you see the future? <clears throat> The future of my business is similar to the future of a CPA's business is automation, standardization. Um, gone are the days where you hire people like me and you, you, know, you pay them per engagement, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, whatever, um, and ask them to do evaluation. No, evaluations are going to be done using software. And they are. I mean, this, that industry is evolving as we speak um, and it's going to continue to evolve. I mean, just because intuit came up with TurboTax. that doesn't mean the cpas are out of a job they found different jobs or they found different ways to um, contribute as a cpa uh, so that's what's going to happen and that, that is happening in my world very cool have you done any valuations on things like nfts or anything in the whole crypto digital world NFTs, yes. Um, I haven't done any valuations on um, cryptocurrencies because I think, like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> yeah, and but NFTs I have, which is, I think, an asset class which is here to stay. Very cool. That's fun. Anything else interesting, fantastic, amazing, wonderful that you'd like to share? Um. No, this was uh, this was a fantastic uh, session. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so <laughs> <much>. Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're awesome. So I know that people listening are going to want to start their journey with you. How did they start their journey with you? Uh, the best way to reach out to me is go to YouTube and look for me, Bharat Kanodia. What's it worth? And there's a link to my contact us page. Uh, feel free to reach out, ask me a question. I was. Uh, um, always uh, happy to response, um, respond, and uh, the link should be in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely, they will be. So, peeps, if you're on your phone, yeah. scroll down. If depending on what app you're in, you can scroll up. You'll find all the show notes and links, and yeah. get a hold of Brent and find out what he can do for you and your company. So, whether you're acquiring a company, you're selling your company, you're insuring products and assets, is there anything else that we've missed? 
that you take care of. That's about it. And if I can't help you, I'll find somebody to help you. Awesome. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I do have to ask you this because, you know, I like asking. So at what point in time did you know that you were special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs> well, uh, when I saw other schmucks doing it. Um, <laughs> most people, it's more like them. <laughs> most, most people think, uh, you know, just think that, that, oh, that guy's doing it. I could do it too. I was just crazy enough to pull the trigger. Nice. That's awesome. I love it. Inspiration for all of us. Any last words for our peeps? No, that's about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Peeps, thank you so much for being here with us today. You know we love and appreciate having you here because, you know, you make it more fun. And if you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to discuss, reach out to me at Michelle at the little blue pill for business.com or connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.